You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Streaming live on our website at radiomaria.us, on the Radio Maria USA mobile app, on your telephone at 1-631-359-8743, and on the radio in Florida on 91.9 FM WMKL in Hammocks, Miami, in Louisiana on 580 AM KJMJ in Alexandria, 1360 AM KNIR in New Iberia, 89.7 FM KBIO in Natchitoches, and 91.1 FM KOJO in Lake Charles. In Mississippi, on 88.1 FM WOLM in D'Iberville, Biloxi. In Ohio, on 1600 AM WULM in Springfield, with translator W277AO 103.3 FM in Enon, Dayton, and 88.7 FM WHJM in Anna. In Pennsylvania, on 88.1 FM WHHN in Hollidaysburg, Altoona. In Texas, on 1250 AM, KDEI in Port Arthur, and in Wisconsin at 91.3 FM, WRMW in Peshtigo. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. When I present our program, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome once again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates a fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, The topic for today's show is actually going to be Divine Providence and Trust in Jesus. And uh, yesterday I gave a short talk, it's about a half an hour long, that um, I'm very pleased, frankly, with about the nature of Divine Providence and the importance of living in a acceptance that everything that happens to us comes from the loving hand of God knowing exactly what our situation is and exactly what's best for us. I know this is a rather um, controversial issue in in many ways, but I will argue that there is no way to fulfill what Jesus requests in the Divine Mercy apparitions to St. Faustina, Jesus, I trust in you. And some of you, I hope, are aware of Father Delindo's Surrender Novena. Uh, which um, the novena each ends, O Jesus, I surrender myself to you, take care of everything. Because in fact, the concept of Jesus, I trust in you, requires an understanding that Jesus is in fact in control and arranging everything that happens to us. So there are a lot of um, dead ends, let's say, wrong turns one can take in trying to understand um, divine providence. And that is the purpose of the talk. So my plan for today's show is I will play a recording of about that 30-minute talk from yesterday. And I am here in the studio and happy to take questions. And if a call comes in, I'll try to catch it on the call board and, um, and respond to the call. And in any case, at the end of the recording which, as I said, runs about 30 minutes, I will take a short um, musical break, and um, definitely, if anyone wishes to call in then, we will have uh, 
sufficient time, uh, at least 20 minutes or so, to address the questions you might have. I cannot overemphasize how important this is for the spiritual life, um, and but I don't want to step on my own toes, so rather than repeating what's in the recorded talk, let me go to the recorded talk. Now, remember, the number here is 866-333-6279, which is the same as 866-333-MARY, of course, for the Blessed Mother Mary. And if you use Skype, and if you're out of the country and wish to use Skype in particular, the address, the Skype address here is Radio Maria USA Studio. So with that, let me uh, for now go to the recording about divine providence and surrender to Jesus. I do have a spiritual talk I want to give today, and um, I'm going into that now. This is a little bit of an experiment, because if I can say so, the stuff is, um, is, is, is pretty far out there in some ways, um, it, it, deeply spiritual, dare I say. So I'm just going to shoot, okay? It's basically all about divine providence. Uh, I talk about divine providence a lot. I think divine providence is actually the key to everything. Believing in divine providence is the key to absolutely pretty much everything. The only way, well, you know, to say it's the only way to live sanely is to suggest that its value is because you feel good or you, you know, you don't get upset. But it's more than that. It's the only way to live in a way genuinely uh, in, in sync with God, dancing properly with God, so to speak, letting him lead. And it's the only way to actually live in the, in the divine will. I'm not using that in a particular sense referring to Luisa Picretta, but just even Dolindo talked a lot about the divine will. It's the only way to live in the divine will. And it's the only way actually to be continually pleasing to God. So it's super important. And there are a lot of problems with really believing in divine providence. And that's why I want to talk about what I'm going to talk about today. First of all, I'm going to recount a prayer experience that a, a close friend of mine had, um, which is really neat. Um, and I believe it not only because I believe my friend, but because it is very similar to the experience that I had that converted me my first mystical experience that converted me from being an atheist. And it's the following. This person found, I'm going to use a, a uh, I guess I'll use a masculine pronoun. No, I'll use a feminine program pronoun, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a woman, but I have to choose. This person found herself in, uh, in some sense, in the presence of God after death, and she saw that when you do confront, find yourself in the presence of God after death, you know, for the judgment, you will realize, she realized, that she had absolutely nothing to reproach God for. In other words, 
that absolutely everything that had ever happened to her had been absolutely perfect. There was nothing that she could, in, in hindsight, sort of in the presence of God, think or wish that God had done any differently. That everything was perfect. There was nothing that she could complain to God about whatsoever in everything that happened to her. It's essentially the same as the experience that I had in my first uh, experience of God. Now, I say that because, of course, of course, if you're going to accept divine providence, you're, I mean, everyone has a lot of um, things happen to them that they think are really bad at the time, like dying of cancer, <laughs> like um, looking forward to the birth of a child and finding that he is severely retarded and will be severely retarded and, and a quadriplegic for life, like um, having an accident and, and uh, losing your legs. There are tons of things that happen all the time that you wish didn't happen. But if you, um, if you, well, you have a choice, basically. You can accept them as divine providence. And, um, or you can blame God for them and complain to God, why did he let that happen? And basically blame him that, you know, he shouldn't have let that happen. He let you down. And the, the point of my friend's experience was she realized that that was always wrong and that um, in his presence, we will realize that everything, everything was the right thing for him to do, for us. Um, now, if you want to believe in divine providence, and you'd better believe in divine and providence, you have a problem, which is the apparent contradiction between divine providence and free will. That is, if some drunk driver runs me over crossing the street and I lose my legs as a result, uh, that was a drunk driver, that wasn't God. And that drunk driver had free will, and he didn't have to take the sixth drink that night or whatever. And... Um, so how is that divine providence? How was the free will of that guy to get drunk and speed through town? Um, it looks like, uh, I mean, we know we're not all puppets. It looks like the choice is either everyone is a puppet and God is pulling the marionette strings, or um, we have free will. And divine providence would seem to imply that we're all puppets and God's, you know, pulling the marionette strings. Looks like a contradiction. I have two things to say to that. One is, well, the first, I, I will get into ways around the paradox. But first, let me say, you think it's a contradiction? Too bad. Because the first mistake you're making is thinking that we can understand these things. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a very even in some sense, like a very Catholic thing to say. It's an extremely Catholic thing to say, but it doesn't sound like it because we know as Catholics 
that faith and reason can't contradict each other, and that there's one truth, and that truth is reflected in both faith, in the, in the teachings of the faith, and also in our intellect, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that our intellect is capable of understanding everything, okay? There are even things, now I'm gonna, this is not gonna be in the bailiwick of most of you, but is, does anyone out there know the uh, dual split, the, the, excuse me, the dual slit experiment for photons, for light? Um, it's, it's very, very mysterious. Uh, some, in, depending on how you look at it, a photon, which is, you could think of as the smallest unit of light, um, acts like a particle and not like a wave. And in another circumstance, it acts like a wave and not like a particle. And there is no resolution, let's say. There's no way of understanding the apparent uh, contradiction between how photons behave, um, depending on whether you, you look at them or not, is actually what determines how they behave. It, it, there's no way to make it make sense in our intellect, okay? But it's, it is true. Um, time slows down. Time slows down as you approach the speed of light. That's not something that makes sense. That's not something that we can see how it works or even what it means in some sense in our intellect. But it's true, or at least it's observed to be true. How much more when we're talking about how God relates to the created world, to the created universe? We really think that we are in a position that we have to understand the apparent contradiction between free will and divine providence before we accept it. That is suicide. That's spiritual suicide. Okay, I should, in some sense, end there. Um, I think that's actually the healthiest and solidest resolution of the contradiction is basically, you don't understand? Too bad. Too bad. You're in the position of Job, you know? We're not going to understand. Now, this gets me to another related thing. You know, see, we're saying, no, no, this can't be true. There's no way for for us to have free will and yet for everything to be divine providence. It can't be true. But quantum mechanics is true, even though there's still no way it can be true. We're essentially giving quantum mechanics more credit than we give God. God invented quantum mechanics or he, he, he generated quantum mechanics. I would actually go so far as to say, as when I was praying about this this morning, I was thinking, God gave us quantum mechanics to show us that we're not in a position to understand reality fully. So, okay. Um, seriously, if we can't even understand the physical universe, how are we going to understand the relationship between the physical universe and God? Which gets me to something else. Two more topics or two more issues here. One is 
one way and this is now now this is this is just a simile so to speak so don't use this to really try to understand so to speak but think of a novelist writing a story now i know that characters and stories do not have free will but when a novelist writes a story it's fiction and he can do or he or she can do absolutely anything he wants with the world that he's describing. Think of God, or I shouldn't say think of God, but I think of God as a little bit in that position. God creates the world without any constraints. That doesn't mean that anything can be illogical or a contradiction or something like that, which is what they believe in Islam, but it's, it's without any without any, in another way, it's without any constraints. Um, maybe that wasn't a good thing to bring up, but something that I sometimes think about. I'll drop that for now. I'll drop that period because it doesn't seem very healthy. Now, now let me get down to reality. What is reality? We are trapped in this physical world until we die. You know, this table is real and solid. You know, this this laptop is real and solid. This glass is real and solid and all of that stuff. That's not going to change. It's absolutely concrete reality. But it isn't. It's only reality within the frame of reference of the physical world that we're trapped in. And um, we know this for two reasons. One is that the entire physical world will end someday okay and yet as as jesus said the heavens and the earth will pass away but my word will not pass away the heavens and the earth will pass away they are not they are not the full they're not the ground of reality they are only the ground of this this um frame of reality that we're trapped in and we also know it because um, we are going to live forever. Now, forever doesn't even exist in, in the reality that we're trapped in, right? The concept of forever doesn't even exist. We are actually going to exist forever. We're going to exist outside of time. God exists outside of time. You know, clearly what we think of as reality is, is a... Is a it's a little it's a little stage in a way or it's a little playpen or something and the the reality extends you know far 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 i mean it's the ultimate reality is very different from the reality that we're trapped in i guess it's the safest way to put it now occasionally people get glimpses of outside of the reality we're trapped in but they're in a lot of trouble if they try to talk about them or write about them because there is no way to communicate stuff that's outside of the reality we're trapped in. There are no words for it. And there are not only no words for it, there are no mental concepts for it. And this has two implications. One of the implications is that when they do do that, many of them, 
they are doomed. Everything they say is doomed to be misinterpreted or misunderstood. Now, my wife is a philosophy professor. <laughs> Excuse me for saying this. I know a lot of philosophy professors. They're philosophy professors who are experts in philosophers and in areas of philosophy. Um, you know, Heidegger, perhaps, or a certain phase of Kant, um, f versions of idealism. I suspect oh, Ed is probably the only person who's following me right now. But anyway, you know, the philosophy of branches or, or rather philosophers who try to deal with the limits of the re reality as we experience reality. And I know philosophers, you know, long-term PhD professors of philosophy who are experts in one of these philosophers and are 100% clueless. They haven't the foggiest idea of what that philosopher is trying to communicate, but that doesn't stop them from writing, you know, published paper after published paper and confusing generations of students. Okay. And the analogy of this is um, the best analogy that Plato does a pretty good job, by the way, the story of Plato's cave, I think is about this. But the analogy that occurs to me is imagine a world in which everyone is deaf, just deaf. There's no sound. They don't hear sound. But you hear sound. And you're trying to describe music to them. Or you're just trying to, you know, say something about music. Good luck. Good luck. There's absolutely nothing. There's absolutely no way you can communicate the concept of music in a world where everyone is deaf. Period. It's hopeless. And if you do try to put into words the experience of music, in a world where everyone else is deaf, they're going to misunderstand it terribly. They're all going to think they understand you, or some of them, the ones who decide to get PhDs in you, and they're going to be completely clueless. You know, and they're going to be schools of interpretation that develop over the generations of what, you know, Heidegger or whoever you were meant by this or what he was saying. And there'll be arguments and there'll be whole, you know, as I say, schools of interpretation. And it's all nonsense. Um, it's worse than nonsense. The, the offensive part is that these people don't say, would, would not say, you know, I have no idea what he's talking about. They would, you know, they would get doctorates in what he's talking about. Um, so anyway, now, why, why am I going through all that? I'm going through all that because I actually think that some of those out there uh, philosophers who dealt with the nature of reality, that dealt with the nature of being, um, were actually trying to do this. That doesn't mean that, <laughs> that doesn't mean that getting a doctorate in them is going to do you any good because, as I said, because there, it just is not, it, it, there's no way to communicate it to somebody who doesn't see it. Um, and again, I think Plato did a, a darn good job, <laughs> as good a job as anyone has done since. Well, I'm cutting in very briefly here. This is Roy Shoman, and you're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. 
and I'm playing a short talk that I, I gave yesterday on divine providence, focusing in particular on the apparent contradiction between free will and God arranging everything, essentially. Um, that nothing happens that isn't the will of God, and how do you reconcile that with free will, and the way that that's an apparent paradox, but um, in fact, <laughs> in fact, it's presumptuous to think that we should be able to understand everything about reality. If you were listening, you you realize that the last five minutes or so was about about um, uh, the the lim- I don't know how to put it the relationship between our experience of reality and um, the what reality means to God. Anyway, uh, the reason I'm interrupting was to give that little station information, Radio Maria, Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, but also to invite calls. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Or if you use Skype, the Skype address is Radio Maria USA Studio. With that, I'm going to go back to the talk. But I'd be very happy to, you know, try to try to um, explain something that might have gone by too fast, or even uh, try to engage in uh, a difficulty that someone might be having in accepting the fact that, as Saint Paul says in Romans, all things work for the good for those who love God. And with that, I'm going to go back to the recording from yesterday. Um, and so, um, let's see. Okay. Now back to divine providence and what, what, what this person saw in, in this experience of, of, uh, being before God in the judgment. Every cross, every cross, life is a string of crosses, right? And that's one reason I love the Delindo meditations. Every cross is designed to push us in the right direction. To push us in the right direction. Okay? And most of us get pushed in the right direction um, willy-nilly. I mean, basically, whether we like it or not, and we don't like it. And I can give many examples of that. And... um, Okay, first of all, let me back up one step before I forget what I wanted to say, which is a couple of days ago on the uh, conversion of St. Paul, you remember Jesus said to St. Paul, it's hard to kick against the gold. It's hard to kick against the gold. What's that mean? Well, you know what a gold is, right? If you're If you have a cow and you want to move the cow, you know, cows, you know, maybe rather large and bulky and lazy and stubborn, you goad it, you push it with a stick and you keep poking it with a stick to get it to go in the direction you want. And maybe the cow will go in the direction you want. And maybe instead it'll try to kick you, kick against the goad and get this stick, you know, kick the stick away. So it's not being poked in the rear end by the stick that's kicking against the goad. Now, now, When God sends us crosses, we have a choice. We can 
get allow ourselves to be pushed in the direction that that cross is pushing us in, or we can kick against the goad and try to undo it, try to resist it. And it's hard to kick against the goad. I mean, you know, it's it is it doesn't work in the long run. You waste a lot of effort. You actually, uh, you know, alienate yourself from God, but that's another issue. But it's just basically a lot of wasted effort. God knows what he's doing, and we're much better off going in the direction that he's pushing us. Um, the I have a friend. This is a she. And I won't mention her. I wish she was watching the show, but I'm pretty sure she isn't. She's a friend from uh, my past, long in my past. And she has a son who was born uh, severely, severely retarded and quadriplegic. Okay. Um, that son, assuming he's still living, he was alive the last time I, I saw my friend. Um, he was at the time probably about 35. Um, he had the mental ability probably... In some ways, I hate to say it, of a two-year-old. I mean, there wasn't anything resembling speech that came from him, just grunts. He smiled. Things made him happy. Um, things made him unhappy. That was visible. But other than that, um, he was in a wheelchair. He didn't have use of his hands either. He was a quadriplegic. Um, needless to say, he was in diapers. Um, he had to be fed. Um, uh, you know, spoon-fed, essentially. He had to be changed. He had to be lifted out of his um, wheelchair, you know, into bed and lifted out of bed into the wheelchair and and bathed and everything uh, for, at the time, it would have been probably about 40 years. Let's, I don't remember how old he was at the time. He was at least 35, so I'll say for 35 years. When he was uh, born to this wonderful Catholic woman, the uh, doctor said, basically, you should put him in a home and get on with your life. You know, put him in an institution and get on with your life. And her res response was, what do you mean? This is my life. And uh, taking care of this, of this extremely crippled and retarded young man now, made her a saint, <laughs> made her a saint. She was pretty good beforehand, obviously, because she wanted to take care of him. But and, and he's alive. Well, I, again, I mean, I have been out of touch with her for five years, but he, you know, he lived until the last time I saw her. And, uh, you know, guaranteed if he was in an institution, he would have lived a few years. But basically, it made a saint out of the rest of the family or it made saints out of the rest of the family. Her, her husband, she had two older children, two or three older children who were normal and so forth. Um, so, you know, that's an example of a goad. A goad that you can go with and you get the fruit that God planned to come from it, which is the best thing in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's sanctity, it's eternal life, it's you know, more more intimacy with God in heaven for all eternity, or you can kick against the goad, you know, put him in a in an institution and um not 
become the saint that God had planned you to be. So um, let me see if there was anything else in my notes. No, that's pretty much it, actually. I'm glad that I kind of flowed because on my notes, it's, you know, 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4. Um, I'll finally say that theology, the classic definition of theology is faith-seeking understanding. There's nothing wrong with um, seeking understanding of things that you don't understand. But there's something very wrong about putting God in the dock and saying, I won't believe it until I understand it. Okay? And um, I was listening because of the um, goodbye, people who are leaving, please come back later and watch the end of the show. Um, the uh, I was, I was because of this, you know, COVID business, I was watching a very good uh, video um, on... Um, you know, I, uh, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, one of the doctors that are generally banned from YouTube, if you know what I mean, uh, and a guest who was also a, a PhD microbiologist talking about the immune system. Now, this is just our immune system. We have tons of systems in us, right? We have the digestive system. We have the nerve system. We have the muscle system. We have, you know, we have all this stuff. We have the circulatory system. We have blood. We have oxygen, we have lungs, we have all this stuff. This was just the immune system. It was just how your body reacts to um, alien invaders, you know, viruses and bacteria or whatever. Unbelievably complex. More complicated than, than New York City, seriously. Hundreds of chemical reactions, hundreds of different kinds of cells and and uh, different kinds of reactions and different missions that different things go on and triggers that start things happening and triggers that stop things from happening and ways of isolating, um, you know, the foreign invader and ways of expelling the invader and ways of telling whether they're friend or foe. And I mean, I don't know any of this, so I can't, you know, even put it into words. But the immune system itself is definitely more complicated than the space shuttle. It's more complicated, you know, than a Boeing 767 by, by leap. I mean, by orders of magnitude, you know, it's, it's, it's more complicated, has more moving parts than, you know, the world's largest battleship, you know, or the world's largest aircraft carrier, including all of the planes on it. That's just the immune system. <laughs> Sorry. You know, we would, if we, if we had, we're so incapable of understanding. I mean, I don't know how to put it. God, what God has done, what God is doing continually, what God has done in designing us, what God has done in designing a noceum. Okay. Think about a noceum or a mosquito or something, right? You know, they must have immune systems. They have navigation systems. They have digestive systems. They have um, nervous systems, vision systems, you know? No, I mean, I mean, there isn't anything in this world, pretty much, that comes from God that 
we are in a position to really understand. All of it is so far beyond us. Um, when I was uh, first converted, no, I mean, we're not even capable of understanding literally the simplest living cell. And we're saying that, God, if I'm going to believe you're in charge of my life, I have to understand the apparent contradiction between free will and, um, and, uh, and divine providence. It's just stupid, 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 stupid. We can pray for in increasing understanding and, and we'll get it. But anyway, that's, that's my, <laughs> that's my homily for today. But, um, but I, I really think this is the Rosetta Stone, so to speak. This is, this is the, the, the central key. Uh, that's also, it's reflected, of course, in the divine mercy revelations to St. Faustina. Um, you know, that, that, uh, Jesus, I trust in you is at the heart of everything. It's in Dolindo, in the Surrender Novena. Really, really, if you want to get through life, please try to digest this. So with that, I think I'm going to go. Okay, well, rather a precipitous end to the, the recording, but, um, I think, in particular, the apparent contradiction between free will and divine providence. It's very important to let go of it. And in general, in general, this whole, I mean, we live in this very kind of self-satisfied, we understand everything world. I remember I went to MIT and the basic, uh, that's Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It's a very big science and engineering school. And the attitude there was religion was a superstition that man came up with until he gave came up with science to give him all the real explanations of everything. And, you know, we live in basically kind of that atmosphere, right? And it's really, really destructive because it's really important not to think that we can understand God in the way that we can understand a chemical reaction or we can understand a couple of billiard balls colliding on a smooth surface. Um, it's just horribly presumptuous, and it uh, basically destroys so much of worship and so much of trust in God. Now, I will once again uh, remind everybody that this is a call-in program, and it is live. The number is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Or uh, using Skype, it's Radio Maria USA Studio. And I, however, I also have uh, some minutes left. So if until somebody calls, I think I will read. I will read from Father Dolindo, um, D-O-L-I-N-D-O. -O. He uh, was a contemporary of St. Padre Pio. Uh, so he... He died middle of the 20th century, second half of the 20th century. Uh, he, by all accounts, was a saint. In fact, St. Padre Pio told a visitor, to uh, uh, a pilgrim who came to visit St. Padre Pio, said, why do you come to see me? You should go see Father Dolindo. Now there's a real saint. So with that, let me read from, he's got a very beautiful, it's called the Surrender Novena. No, surrender novena and again it's it's basically 
basically the idea is number one that everything that happens is uh, coming from the hands of God and number two is if we wish for Jesus to intervene in a temporal situation a precondition is leaving it in his hands and not um, trying to take control of it ourselves. So let me just read the uh, Novena to the Surrender to the Will of God by Father Dom Dolindo Rutello, Rotolo, uh, 1882 to 1970 were his dates. Uh, it's a nine-day Novena. I'm not going to say it over nine days. I will say the days one after the other. Day one. Why do you confuse yourselves by worrying? Leave the care of your affairs to me, and everything will be peaceful. I say to you in truth that every act of true, blind, complete surrender to me produces the effect that you desire and resolves all difficult situations. And then one repeats, oh, I see that we have a caller. So as promised, I will interrupt and, and take the call. Um, and uh, are you there, Karen? I am. Uh, well, thanks for calling. Uh, and I, um, okay. What I, I want, I just, I had listened to your talk and um, I'm listening to it again on the radio here. It is just, I just can't agree with you more. I just think it's just absolutely key. And what I wanted, I didn't know whether you were aware of a book that I just read recently called Into Your Hands, Father, Abandoning Ourselves to the God Who Loves Us. It's by Wilfred Stinnison. No, and I'm not aware of it. What I about this book is it's very short and very clear. And it even takes you even beyond, um, say, uh, Jean de uh, Cassade and uh, 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 Alphonsus de Liguori. They're big books. But this book is just absolutely wonderful and very clear. Okay, it sounds great. And I'm glad. I'm glad about the book. Um, I think it's, it's a kind of like, uh, a fatal flaw of our age and even of, of um, you know, the kind of the, the Catholic sense of the world that, you know, I, I, I know a wonderful sister, none that is contemplative, who's from the Philippines. And she told me that um, basically there, everybody trusts in Jesus when they get sick because all they can do is pray. No one can afford the hospital. And I think that because of our control over our situations in general, we have uh, kind of taken God out of the equation. And it, the key is definitely um, placing all difficult situations into the hands of God because he is behind them and he, is, he knows what's best for us also. And he loves us more than we could right. even dream of right. loving ourselves. So yes, and every little thing that is, uh, as you said, um, and one way I've looked at it, but I think this goes even, what you're talking about goes even deeper, is that we have free will, but God knows what we're going to do in advance. And so, to me, I was always looking at that as a way to explain divine providence and free will, but that it goes even further when you know that God has allowed the person to take that drink 
that caused the accident. And, I, and you know, then there was, he knew that was going to happen, too. So it's, uh, yeah. it's like being in the middle of an ocean. And you don't know where the... It's too wide and too deep to understand. Uh, I, actually, that's very interesting that you bring that up, because I think of that as the resolution also, that even though every individual has free will, God knows beforehand what they're going to do, and so he can weave circumstances so that you know for instance um if if god knew beforehand that that person would would i know i can't do that it gets too complicated but it's basically what you said that if god knows beforehand how people will use their free will he can weave together the destinies of everybody to bring about all the circumstances he wants but the pro the my my reservation about that i think it's a very good out and i think it's probably true but my reservation about that is i would prefer not to put god in the dock in the first place i would prefer to acknowledge that it's presumptuous to think we can understand mysteries that lie at the intersection between the reality that we're trapped in between birth and death and the reality of eternity yes we just have to learn to be to, to have the faith to be grateful for every little thing that he brings our way, which is not easy. <laughs> but then I think of myself at the foot of the cross with Mary, and she's looking at the worst thing in the world, and she's accepting God's. Uh, um, she's trusting at the same time. Amen. Amen. Preach it, sister. Exactly. And um, that actually... Uh, I, 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 I will leave you now because I'm, for all I know, we have other callers, okay. but, um, what you just said is okay, a perfect, thank you, Roy. Thank you. um, and thank you for, for listening. And that's a perfect segue into some more, uh, father to Lindo. So I will, um, I will just read some other snippets from him. Um, and then I'll go back to the surrender novena, uh, Unite yourself to me in your suffering, this is Jesus speaking, and the bitterness will become for you like incense through the joy of offering your sufferings to me for the salvation of souls. Suffer with patience, do not lose your temper, do not make others suffer for your impatience. Be at peace with everyone and forgive those that make you suffer, because forgiveness for others is a pledge of forgiveness for yourself on the part of divine mercy. Um, that's an interesting point. That actually implies that we would have to be offended by others and hurt by others during our life because we know that we offend God. We know that we sin. We know that we commit offenses against him. And the only way, I, I'm overstating a little bit, and uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get too mechanical about this, but the uh, a particularly powerful way of getting the grace of forgiveness of God's forgiveness of us is for us to forgive others. That that is as as Dolindo says, forgiveness for others is a pledge of forgiveness for yourself on the part of divine mercy. Right, and that's already in the Our Father. Uh, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive others who trespass against us. It's also in those parables of of the. Um, you know, of the uh, um, the servant whose master forgives him a huge sum and then he refuses to forgive another servant a much smaller sum. So 
If nobody offended against us, what will we have to forgive in order to precipitate God's forgiveness, so to speak, for us? Also, by the way, just as a little advertisement, the um, the graces of conversion that are poured out on people who offend you when you forgive them are tremendous. In other words, your prayers for somebody who has offended you are incredibly powerful. I think of, um, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on her, her, her last name, but I think it's St. Gemma, right? The, re- the Italian young woman, I think she was 13, when a neighbor attempted to rape her and, and killed her when she refused to accede. And she forgave him, and he had a tremendous conversion. And later, I think he actually became a religious, but he certainly became totally dedicated to God and totally converted, presumably through the grace of the person he had offended so badly, praying for his conversion. And of course, we just had the feast day of the conversion of St. Paul. And St. Paul was holding the cloaks to help the people stoning St. Stephen, right? And St. Stephen prayed for God to forgive him and I think undoubtedly that's what unleashed the torrent of grace that turned Saul into St. Paul. So again, I'm not saying this is the case, and I'm not putting myself in the position of of kind of um, uh, understanding why God does what he does, but one could imagine that if God wants somebody to be converted, and he wants all of us in heaven, right? He wants all of us to be converted, he might arrange for that person to, let's say, mug you so that you being a good Catholic, so that you, instead of being, you know, breathing fire and revenge against the person who mugged you, would instead pray for them. And that would unleash the graces from God for that person to convert. Um, again, I don't want to make things too mechanistic. I know that's that especially since uh, um, that's an accusation that's often uh, made against uh, the Catholic Church from by Protestants, but there is there are so many mysterious gears turning and wheels within wheels in this entire mystery of um, basically of salvation and suffering. I better get back to Father Delindo. Um, Fulfill the divine will in the suffering of your life and especially in the agony of your sensitive heart. Do not become disheartened in your life. Keep your eyes on your final destination, which is heaven. Do not grieve, but trust in God and confide entirely in him. Do not become despondent, but bear all things with patience and spread peace around you. Um, And... um, Again, here, I go on. Um, I go on carrying my cross for love of you, and you follow me for love of me. You hesitate to carry the cross because your nature seeks joy, but how can you have joy if you don't carry the cross? So many souls would like to create their own cross, and they want to make them light. When they do this by themselves, the cross instead becomes much heavier causing great distress and discouragement. Unite yourself to the divine will and bear your daily crosses with patience, courage, and submission. 
Trust in me, for I am your Simon of Cyrene. I will help you. What good are impatience and rebellion? Why must you seek your will in everything which can only cause you problems? Live with patience, and you shall live in peace. And uh, finally, from this set of uh, meditations, Jesus speaking, of course, Gaze on me crucified, and all your pains will become sweeter. Don't be afraid. From my cross I open my arms of mercy to you, and I save you. Trust in me. You are not on the wrong path, because it is I who am leading you on your way with special love. Be at peace and join me at the foot of the cross, sacrificing yourself for me. And then finally, I think I'll end with uh, a famous quote from St. Padre Pio, (laughs) Um, which is, he said, "If, if people knew the true value of suffering they would never pray for anything else. And if that's true, and I suspect it is true, I certainly trust Padre Pio, then that certainly suggests that the suffering that comes into our life is not a sign that God doesn't love us, and it isn't a sign that God is not in the picture and has forgotten us, but quite the contrary. It's a sign of how much God loves us, and how much God wants for us. And so I will close with that line that I referenced earlier uh, from St. Paul's conversion. Jesus, the words came from Jesus himself, it is hard to kick against the goad. And the sufferings in our lives are the goads that lead us on the path to heaven. And on that path, which is, of course, strewn with rocks and sharp pebbles and briars and thorns and so forth, we have, we have a special source of comfort and support and relief, and that is, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Blessed Mother, who is provided to us to be our sweetness, our life, and our hope, and the sweetness on this path of Calvary, which basically is our path to heaven. So in that light, I will go out playing the hymn, Toda Pulcra S. Maria, Totally Beautiful is Mary. You've been listening to Roy Shoman on Radio Maria, Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, and I hope you join us again next week, same place, same time. Bye for now. Tota pulcra es Maria, tota pulcra es Maria, et macula originais, non Oh